Well, welcome everybody to Good Money. We are coming at you with the last regular, semi-regular episode of season two. That's right. And it's late afternoon, which means that there's water in this here coffee mug. Don't get it twisted. But we'll push through any day before Thanksgiving difficulties we have. That's right. I'm just thinking about my turkey. Man, I know. I'm 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 not. <laughs> But I will be soon. <laughs> now that you put that image in my head. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> I'm put, doing a scavenger hunt for all the friends of coming to town. Like around our property. It's going to be awesome. Like, they have to awesome. go and like find different things like behind the tree. And then like, <laughs> you know, take this shot of coffee really quick and or something, you know. That's going to be great. <laughs> my dad used to do that sort of thing with us. But we're talking today about Dupolity, good money, as a whole, because people have to get ready for the big Q&A. That's right. Our shining hour. <laughs> we will get stumped. It'll be great. Yes. But pretend like we never did. No, no, no. We'll, we'll always have answers, even yeah. if we just start speaking really fast, so that you can't tell that we don't know what we're talking about. Um, yeah, we want to go through the whole thing, just w to kind of give this, this major overview of the various arguments that we've made, the various kind of hot things that we found, particularly intriguing things that we found in the tradition. Yeah. What does um, it what does it mean to be to have the Catholic position on money? Yeah. What what are what are the uh, what are the highlights, the low lights, the side lights? Yeah. So we're just gonna get, gonna almost do each individual podcast we've done in two minutes. Oh man, go <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where do we start? We started it's tough. We started saying that we have a lot of conversations today about all the economic ills of our society. That's right. And that the solutions are not found in different policies or different systems, but actually found in the virtues. That's right. Because ultimately everything, all the institutions that we build, all the policies that we create, all the systems that we construct, m emerge out of our souls trying to achieve, to obtain the love that we desire. That's right. And so if we desire God, then the institutions that we create concerning money should be formed by that love. Yep, that's, that's right. it. So the tradition has been helpful to us, yep. and they have given us certain virtues um, by which to help us govern mm. money mm -hmm. uh, and spelled them out for us. Mm -hmm. So the first one, really, I think, in my mind, the, the governing virtue is actually almsgiving, which is really charity. It's a particular manifestation of the virtue of charity. And the church fathers really like to point to that verse in Matthew 16 or 6. Oh, it's terrible that I don't know that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> when <laughs> when uh, Jesus tells uh, the, uh, the parable of the shrewd steward and ends that by saying that we are to make friends with the mammon of iniquity. Now, he's not saying that like the object... In that the object in that sentence is not mammon, it's yeah. it's more of a it's an ablative. Mm. You are using with money, make friends. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with other people. I guess that's the end of the sentence. Yeah. So al almsgiving is is just is just marvelous because it does a few things. Number one, it it both presumes, but then instantiates the idea that you belong in community with others, mm -hmm. which is crucial. I mean, one of the one of the major problems about our consideration of money today is that we can have it in a vacuum that we can have it as yeah. an individual that 
our having $40 in our pocket does not affect someone else. And this is right. the most obvious point that the fathers of the church keep on hitting on. That yeah. when you have money, you've got two things. The dollar bill and the obligation. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, now I'm jumping into other to other. Well, yeah, so you have the obligation precisely because it all harkens back to what was, what are we made for? And we were ultimately made for union with God and friendship with one another. Mm -hmm. And that within, when God originally gifted the world to all of, created the world, he gifted gifted it to all of us, not just some of us. And that once we are provided for, then we are to use whatever is left to, again, treat other people as the gratuitous gifts that they are. Yeah. Something I think that's really important in, in this virtue is this, is the idea of the common good. The tradition has historically uh, considered being, or stuff that exists, and, and, and the good as synonyms. They're the same thing. You might not say that a lame horse is good, because even though it is perfectly actual, it is not uh, fulfilled in its design. Mm-hmm. So there's some distinctions there, some logical distinctions. Um, but everything that's created is good. Yeah. God created and he called it good. Um, and that this, it is, the common good is vast specifically because it does re- it does refer to everything in existence. That we are part of the common good. That you and I are part of the common mm-hmm. good together. Mm-hmm. Um, that we are specifically to cultivate the common good, the being that is, making it cultivating the good so that it is truly revealing God, so it is enabling us to become friends. Um, but in this understanding of how does this really help us understand almsgiving, it's precisely that in almsgiving, we are not just keeping some for ourselves and then altruistically giving to others. We are taking care of ourselves as part of the common good, and then we're taking care of other people who are also part of the common good. Totally. It's qualitatively a similar act. Yeah, the Catholicism actually gets beyond the question of selfishness versus altruism by describing the person as always being involved in the common good such that no real selfishness mm-hmm. uh, can be possible in the sense that when I give to another, mm-hmm. right, I'm giving to one person with whom I'm already involved in. And so to serve his good is to serve my good and, yeah. and vice versa. That's right. And that's a beautiful thing. Yep. And that means, of course, that there's a there's a commandment here, right? And, and the way it's expressed in the tradition is that all of our super, superfluities, <laughs> superfluities um, belong by justice to others. That's right. Really important part of the, uh, because when you hear about almsgiving, you very often think, well, it's the thing that I do out of a kind of, oh, it's a kind of upswell of Christmas cheer, and and it and it's just in charity and love that kind of comes from 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 a point of excess. I give what I have to someone else, but that's not what the tradition says. The tradition says that you owe it injustice to distribute your superfluities, because if you have more than you need for your particular vocation, that mm-hmm. means it belongs to the other who's with whom you share the common good. Yep. That's there, in the catechism, baby. It's right there. Yeah, there's, there's just no having that isn't a kind of uh, stewardship yep. within uh, church teaching. So if I have money, it means I'm a steward over a bit. Uh, over it, and, and we talk about this all the time. We say we want to be good stewards of money. But uh, sometimes we forget that what a steward is is not someone who simply manages money well for, him, for himself. To be a steward is to be <laughs> making decisions about how to... Um, exchange those superfluities for the common good. Yep. Uh, 
Are we doing opposing vices or do we, are we just going on? If we start doing those, buddy, we're going to be in, I mean, we'll be in the weeds. All right. We're not going to do those. <laughs> but we'll just say. <laughs> you can't the, stop. Jacob. The opposing vices to, um, uh, to, to almsgiving are actually twins. Yeah, that's right. Envy and ambition. Uh, so ambition is one. It's kind of like pride today. Like we consider it to be a virtue, when actually the tradition totally. condemns it. First uh, Corinthians thirteen five, ambition is actually the word used in Latin there. Fun fact. Um, but whereas an almsgiving, you hope to share in the common good with another, cultivating it for both of you. In envy, you're like Cain hoping to end the life of the other so that you can share an honor uh, exclusively so that no one is above you. And ambition is a similar thing. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to achieve an honor that is not properly yours without reference to God and without reference to another. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, there you go. That's yeah. almsgiving. Yeah. And I think w- one other thing that we mentioned that's, that's important is almsgiving is, is for the forgiveness of sins. Ah, Yes. Um, and this is again, very important because that often strikes people as being sort of, let's say extrinsic, like you give money and then unrelated to that fact, God forgives your sins. Mm. And this is, this causes problems, especially for Protestants, um, because it can kind of sound like you're buying the forgiveness of sins or something like that. Um, but the point is actually very simple that it is healing the wounds inflicted yeah. by sin, mm-hmm. right? So it has a kind of causal relationship here where when I sin, I precisely enter into a private domain and act for ends that are not for the common good. Mm-hmm. All sin tears apart the common good. Yep. So where there's a disease, we look for a like remedy, right? <laughs> and the remedy in this case is to stitch back what has been torn apart. Um, and what's great about the common good is you can sin in one area, and because the common good is vast and complex, as you mentioned, you can heal it in another. It's not quite the same as the utilitarian, like, balancing out the suffering and the... Well, I forget how they... It's more of a math problem for them. But we're assured that God takes care of... That God takes care of the whole. Yeah. Well, the effects of one can be can mended somewhere else. Yeah. Or, excuse me, the, the effects of... The cause of a sin, the sin is caused, can have this effect down the road, and you can take care of somebody else's effect, you know, with with your almsgiving. So, give, okay, so give away your money. One. Get your sins forgiven. <laughs> the second is liberality. Mm. This is also another virtue that's properly, uh, it's, it's proper subject is money, the proper use of money. So, whereas almsgiving helps you to understand the right way to give, within almsgiving, you are directed to the right way of saving. Within liberality. Within liberality. Yes. What did I say? Sorry. Almsgiving again. Oh, man. Sorry about that. Within liberality. Um, the liberal man, St. Thomas Aquinas says, uh, understands that money, that the purpose of money is to be sunk, is to be exchanged for some real good. Yeah. He says that the covetous man is defined by the person that understands saving to be the end of money, yeah. who saves, who continues to amass, that doesn't really know what his money is for. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, so then on the other hand, you have another opposing vice to liberality, and that is prodigality. Again, the person does not know what his money is for. He's kind of like a nihilist. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have 
a purpose that has taken hold of his heart to the point where he saves for acquiring it. Yeah. Realizing that there is some real good that must be had. Uh, instead, he just is blown where the wind goes. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And in liberality, you have this lovely character that I think we all want to be. Remember, these virtues, they don't simply... You don't simply practice them and then put them in your back pocket. They form who you are. Mm -hmm. So what's beautiful about the Christian tradition is it can sound like we're talking about particular categories of act, but we're actually talking about particular types of person. Like the liberal man has a flavor. Well, maybe don't lick him, but he has a, <laughs> you know, you know him when you meet him. Um, and the way you know him is that he is free, which is why it's liberal, mm. you know, despite the scandal involved in saying that we like liberalism <laughs> in this instance right because the liberal man does he's free because not because he doesn't understand his mind like the prodigal but he's free because he understands it so well that it just passes through him like water yeah. you know like well not not water through a person but water through no but there's it's right because sieve. <laughs> <laughs> because he's he's he knows exactly what it's for so that when he gets it he spends it yeah and the appearance to others is that the money doesn't matter to him, or mm -hmm. it can be that appearance. If you don't know him well, you might think, wow, this guy just like throwing it away. But actually, it's that the money is so transparent to him. It's like, ah, here comes opportunity for thing I must do. Mm. Ah, here comes a second opportunity for gift I must do. Mm -hmm. Boom, 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 boom. You exchange it. So you probably know a liberal man because he is doing two things that seem paradoxical, but make total sense. Namely, he's always spending, he's making gifts, and he's doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's also always getting money. So what I mean is it is an actual use of money mm -hmm. that's being described here. And so you, you can see this image of it. Like it comes in and it goes. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> it is actually really beautiful. Uh, he is, yeah, he's the ideal. That's the guy that we want to be. Um, we have a funny little principle for this, that money is a placeholder. So always know what it's holding a place what you're holding a place for. Mm -hmm. um, and that savings accounts are unjustified if they are for a general use. So Christians shouldn't have saving accounts that they cannot answer for. So if uh, Jacob, why do you have that $5,000? Uh, I don't like, know. Okay, you're going to hell. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so this is another place where we can interject a uh, another podcast topic. What about emergency funds? Well... We talked about this, didn't we? And I'm going to remember exactly what we said. Uh, so emergency funds are justified on that same principle, right? Which is that you are planning, right? And and the money is already specified, right? Mm. So it's not a general amassment. You don't get to have an emergency fund that grows and grows and grows. But the specification here is that having an emergency fund requires that you know what you're doing with money. It requires that you know your vocation. Mm. St. Thomas has a principle. It's very simple. It's actually the most simple of the things we say, which is how much money is a man allowed to have? As much as is necessary for his office yeah. is what Aquinas says. Now, the difficulty comes in knowing what our office is, but the point is that when we become holy, we are also becoming more and more specific. Mm. You, know, you hear it expressed as in you're becoming more and more who you are. Mm. And there's a beautiful truth there. Well, part of that in relation to money is knowing our vocation, knowing our needs, and knowing the likely emergencies that we'll face so that we can actually, as we grow in holiness, also grow in the specificity of the account, yeah. of, the, of the emergency fund. 
So that is good to do, but it's important to subordinate it so that the point is not to act out of a unreasonable fear where we say, well, I am so frightened of the universe and so frightened that God is not in control that I'm going to use money as a way of essentially atheistically denying the sovereignty of God and sort of trying to carve out a little space of human control through the use of cash. If you're doing that, you're in sin. But if you are saying, God, you have revealed to me precisely what I am for. Mm. I am a father and I mow lawns on the east side over here. Okay. Well, then my vocation is clear and then my emergencies can be reasonably deduced mm. and saved for. Mm. But that specification matters. Yeah. I think one other thing is that we live in a very monetized economy. One might say the most monetized economy of all time. Yes. And they would be right. <laughs> uh, when St. Thomas was writing on kingship, he said, he the only time he ever mentions like a savings account, he yeah. said, the king may consider having one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they were more growing and sharing rather than buying and selling all the time. I mean, obviously there's buying and selling, but it was, it was, uh, there was such a, a, a focus on cultivating goods proper to your, to what was necessary in life that not everybody needed a savings account sure. in the same way that you would say that most every family man today sure. needs a savings account. Because of cars. Because of cars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we obviously have to kind of use the Job principle in considering this too, is that did it, would a savings account save Job from the disaster that yeah, he faced? Yeah, 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 yeah. The answer is absolutely not. He yeah. lost far too much that money could never have yeah. have regained. And also and and when Christ commands us not to fear, it means that that has to have some real practical implications of trusting right um, in him. And and I would just toss out one last thing on emergency funds uh, that if we're going to take that that consideration of the common good seriously, mm -hmm. then we have to realize that the savings the emergency fund may not just be for our family alone mm. but for those who who need some immediate help mm -hmm. well so, and vice versa though we should realize that exactly we need help from our neighbors yes and mm -hmm. that we shouldn't have a savings account uh as a result of, of pride yeah namely that because i have this money in store when something goes wrong i don't need my friends that's right and that's tough because you have to also be prudentially analyzing your situation maybe you don't have any friends for instance mm -hmm. and you should then as part of your you know emergency account getting you should move to Zoomville and make friends yeah exactly right. but the point <laughs> the point is I mean um, the idea of of the Christian community should be always paramount what is money for for making friends so if we're ever using it in a way that means we don't need friends then we're off the mark that's right I, I put this as a general principle as well before we move on well which is namely that Sometimes people are of a habit that I think is very crippling uh, and, and it makes them fearful, which is namely, they understand the world, they understand how money works and how money is uh, makes them successful within a money economy. And when they approach the Christian tradition, they're asking questions like, well, what's the exception? Mm. And not, what's the rule? Mm -hmm. 
So for instance, if you're talking about emergency accounts and we give you this answer mm -hmm. that says, yeah, a specified emergency account given your particular vocation makes sense as mm -hmm. long as it doesn't sin against charity. No one should ever hear that and say, oh, now I don't have to think about it. That's right. Because I found some place where it is allowed. And so now it is simply like go time on savings accounts. That's right. It, precisely what we're trying to do in each case is say, it is the, the rule is really trust in God. That's right. And then the way we're specifying that rule is that the use of money should be within that particular trust. But that means that you always have to have, you always have to give reason <laughs> for your right. saving account. Um, and so, so this is all advice that should make your financial life harder mm. in the sense that it involves your spirit more, your reason, mm -hmm. your decision, your constant examination of conscience, right? So, and it's the same with all sorts. I mean, this is just, uh, this is typical of all sorts of new polity suggestions, which is namely we say like, yeah, well, this makes sense as a remedial act given a very evil and difficult world, but never take that as meaning then, well, the act's allowed. And so, yep. Time to carry on. That's right. Okay. It's you just to bring in another podcast. Well, let's do it. Insurance. Yes. Because this is a big consideration. People say, well, you never know how much you're going to need. Um, which potentially could be true. But when I asked him, I said, well, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, uh, you could get really sick. I said, well, do you not have insurance? And they said, well, no, no, we do. And I said, like, do you need to get like a, a you know, like a higher level, you know? And no, 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 we have the highest level. So then what are you concerned about? Well, they could just drop me all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with my home owners or my home, home insurance. Uh, this is actually, I think, it may be that we're just poking at some point of real irrationality where fear is, uh, where trust is replaced with fear. Mm -hmm. um, and I think these are like real things that people should be sitting down and working through is in figuring out what is actually needed to provide for those under my care, as yeah. St. Thomas puts it. And sure. so I think when we're considering insurance, there's some room obviously again in our hyper uh, hyper monetized culture but also in a culture where danger in, is actually increasing you might say where health is just absurd like how how unhealthy we are um and i'm not just saying like overeating but also like what we're putting in our food and such uh where we drive cars all the time which is absurd how dangerous cars. cars are. It all comes back to the cars. You yeah. want to know what's wrong with money? Cars. Yeah. <laughs> but we should say about insurance. You know, that was a real, real version of chapter three, of Genesis, when Moses drafted it. Yeah. He's like, yeah. And then they got in the stick shift and went off, you know? You... And he's like, okay, no, I, I have to rewrite that. <laughs> the, the, you can throw me up. Uh, yeah. And what do we think about insurance? Well, um, the practical suggestion is that wherever possible, it should be replaced with health sharing cooperatives. Mm-hmm. So this is obvious um, places like Samaritan Ministries with, with healthcare, and there's no reason why every insurance model could not ultimately be replaced by a health-sharing model. Yeah, we do not recommend solidarity. I'm so sorry. I had to do that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, sorry. I'm going to say why. I feel like you have to now. When uh, you name names. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I just People are going to turn health share. They're just going to go, okay. and they're going to find the Catholic one. Uh you just will never get any money out of it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, they're they're working through some growing pains. Maybe one day they'll be awesome. Cool. Great. Today is not that day. 
But what are the problems with insurance? Generally, well, well typical insurance is a um, invested in the market. So yeah. uh, it's benefiting um, the larger it's, speculative yeah. environment that we're in. Yeah. And, and it puts a middleman between people who are sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also means that um, your needs are not being met directly. Um, like we're not giving to each other as our needs arise. Yeah. Um, rather, we're paying um, premiums to basically make a make a big pot. Um Again, of, of market mm-hmm. investment. And there's a better way. So, yep, there you go. Okay. Uh, now we get to retract from that, go to the next virtue beneficence. Yep. Beneficence is another externalization of, of a virtue, um, of charity. It basically means do gooding. And I think it does come back to this thing that you just pointed out where it's, you don't, you look at the, like where you're going and not the exception. So, I like the thing about this is when you when you're following God, it's kind of like driving. You know, if you're looking at the median and you're not paying attention to what's where you're going down the road, you're gonna hit the median and go over it, which yeah. is the very thing that's supposed to be dividing yeah, yeah, you from yeah. the place that you're not supposed to go. Yeah. Uh, and, and this command of like let's avoid doing evil, which is heard so often today. Um, is really the guidelines that we have for living Christian life, especially a financial life. Yes, totally. You know, with my investments, I don't want to do evil. W- what about just actively doing good? Yeah, totally. Isn't that the way that we should be orienting mm-hmm. ourselves mm-hmm. to actually wanting to grow the kingdom, helping more people know and love Jesus Christ? Yeah, I mean, again, Christ is clear. There is a good you can do with money. It's make friends, mm-hmm. right? And so avoiding evil with money is... It actually, in a weird way, sells money short. <laughs> money can do more than just that. Yeah. <laughs> and so the beneficent man, right, is the one who is always looking for the good. He's always doing good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the most basic orientation. Um, but it's signified it, it, at that moment when you stop saying, okay, how do I make sure that none of my investments support abortion? for instance, and you start saying things like, how do all of my investments build up the kingdom of God? Mm -hmm. That signifies that you have become, in this instant, beneficent. And we salute you. (laughs) (laughs) So just run back, almsgiving, how they give well, how to make friends with the maimon of iniquity. It's kind of the first jumpstart on it. Liberality, how to save well. Beneficence, how to invest well. Yep. And you know what's awesome? You know who has all of these? Who's that? God. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) And that is sort of a meta principle that Christians are about. We are supposed to be images of God. Mm -hmm. We are, in fact, the image of God. But we are especially supposed to be images of God to those below us in any way. Like in any situation where there's unequal power, we as Christians are supposed to be the ones who show people who God is, what Mm -hmm. he is like. So that when they arrive at any point in their life at that ultimate inequality of power, namely between man and God, um, you serve as a kind of mediator for their understanding of God. Right. Who is he? Well, he's the one who gives gifts without being stingy. Right. He's the one who has no fear. Mm-hmm. Right. He's the one with whom I am not competing or mm-hmm. envious. Right. He is the one through whom, yeah, the, you know, he's abundant. Um, and so our actions need to be a kind of catechesis for others. The laity, it's a kind of novelty 
that the laity currently is very involved in this sort of intellectual uh, apologetics. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a, it's a novelty. <laughs> um, when obviously the thing that we most do is live and act the active life. And so we need to always be concerned, first and foremost, that our actions show who God is and then develop our reasons mm-hmm. to think about. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so in, with investment, yeah. um, John Paul II actually gives us a good, a good principle here. So Is he the Pope or something? Yeah. He says that within proper Christian beneficent investment. The goal is to offer people a chance to dignify their labor. So cool. So cool. To dignify the labor of your neighbor. There you go, baby. And that should strike us, right? Because no one ever says that about investment. It's mm-hmm. very important to look for the places where Christianity is saying what no one else says. Yeah. Investment is first and foremost. What inspires you to invest? What, what, when you wake up in the morning and you open up the curtain, you see the sun shining, you say, Oh, I want to invest my money today. If that motivation is an increase in personal wealth, <laughs> then you are not yet living the Christian life. Okay. And that's okay because, gosh, no one is really. I mean, we're trying. There's so many different. It's just hard. <laughs> um, but we, we should be serious about it. When you, when you open that curtain and you say, Ah, my neighbor needs me in order to be able to labor to do his duty on earth which is to till and to keep the garden how can i put that into effect i was just bemoaning this to a friend of ours hmm. i was just saying how how cramped i feel with the obvious need for dignified labor i just look around and it's like wow yeah. people have such a hard time becoming holy because they have either no work or their work is is so um, dehumanizing yeah that like the very conditions for holiness seem seem to be so far from them and i and i yeah. and i get that like you could have heroic virtue within a situation but like heroic virtue is not supposed to be the normal way of doing things that's why it's heroic <laughs> that's right yeah so you know to have four million dollars to be able to start a factory or whatever would be mm-hmm. awesome and and so you can start to feel how the motivation shifts the point is not, oh, I really need more money. Let's do some investments. The point is we need good work. Let's do some investments. Hey, good work. Just saying. Thanks, could, podcast Could series. be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's really that's key because work is part of our salvation. Not not so much that um, the whole like Protestant-Catholic dispute is, yeah. is like faith and works thing is that in and through our work, those are primal activities by which we cultivate virtue, by you know, which is the means by which we become enrobed with Christ to have Him written, have God written on our hearts. As Saint Maximus, the Confessor, says, uh, that is the conduit of, of a new relationship, a door to walk through into the house of God. Oh, that's beautiful. That's what work is. <clears throat> so, within beneficence, there's I do. You know, another kind of consideration, a number of our other podcasts have been against capitalism. We're primarily against capitalism because most people know that they should already be against socialism. Yeah. You know, and so, but not as many people, especially in America, are on the same page with capitalism. But we only denounce capitalism in the same way that Leo the 13th, that Pius the 11th, that 
Paul the sixth, John Paul the second, Benedict the sixteenth, um, and Pope VI. Francis, and Pope Francis, yeah. absolutely. So it's not. So you might have some hangups with like, well, what about entrepreneurship or something sure. like that? And it's like, well, that's not the ways in which they denounce uh, capitalism. Um, the biggest problem, Pius the eleventh really did a great job, maybe better than the others of mm-hmm. laying out is that. Um, you have a lack of access to productive property, that creative control for the average person is not in your hands, um, or you don't have that creative control. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he, along with the others, uh, endorsed going back to a form of social order that was prior to the one that we're currently living in, where access to the means of production was widespread. And, no, yeah. no, the reason... Why, oh, sorry, go for it. Well, and I was going to say, just to give it a little nuance, just that, yeah. the, that the goal of labor, uh, the end of labor, is f- to attain creative control over productive property. Yeah. Um, because sometimes it can sound like wage labor as such is evil. But that's not what's being said, mm. um, because wage labor can be totally necessary. And haven't we all been in situations where, thank God, there was wage labor? Totally. Uh, but w- but the idea is that even in wage labor, the wage has to be such that it accrues to this yep. goal, which is ownership. Yep. Leo Thirteenth spells that out as well. Man can save so that he might have, he said land, but, you mm-hmm. know, moving into John Paul II and such into productive property as a whole. Now, the reason why I bring this up with, in the context of beneficence and proper Christian investing is that part of the way that we invest is to get our friends into jobs where they do have that creative control Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. But I think a part of this, and we can chat more about this during the Q&A, is that it can't be just productive property purely for the sake of productive property, that the company itself should be meeting some need of the Mm, society. Otherwise, it's kind of like LARPing. You know, it's just not actually living into the reality of work, you know, actually of cultivation and of care of another. If it was just superfluous, uh, there might be some space for that. But particularly now when all of our cities uh, have, are no longer self-sufficient, which is the classical definition of of a city that we need to be turning to the things that are more necessary. But anyways, that's just no, kind no, of a, pro- such a preferential such a good option. Point. Yeah, it's a good point because the, yeah, you can see how you can have people doing just about anything. And as long as they're making a wage, then it would produce an, an economy and a certain kind of peace. Right. Um, but we got to think beyond that. Yeah. So smooth transition. Uh, Temperance is not a virtue that is about the proper use of money, Mm -hmm. but it is about the proper use of things which money measures. And it is kind of a prerequisite virtue to liberality and to the others, um, with luxury being its opposing vice. Now, luxury is a disposition of soul that craves for superfluous things as if they were necessary. Totally. We took a whole podcast to say what you just said. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I've thought about it since then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the critiques of, of capitalism, this, this would apply anywhere it happens, is that economies um, are divorced from people, from mm-hmm. the provision of um, goods and real services, and they become uh, involved in simply the production of needs mm-hmm. and then the fulfillment of those needs by production. So it's yeah. a sort of a circle. Um so don't be luxurious. 
Don't be soft. Figure out what you really need. And that doesn't exclude beautiful, wonderful things. Absolutely not. Um, which is why when you're still talking about magnificence. Yeah. Don't you forget my favorite I virtue. I ain't. I ain't, bro. Uh, but but luxury is, uh, you know, it can be any good. And there's no good that is de facto luxurious. Um, but any time where that need is artificially um, produced and becomes a crutch for the human person, um, then you have a situation of luxury. And that's wicked on an individual level, and then it produces a society of wickedness because then you have um, people that are very easily manipulatable Yeah. because all you have to do is convince people that they need X in order to keep the economy going, and people are disposed to believe mm-hmm. um, this sort of thing. Yeah. That's pretty good. No more okay. luxury. So, we, so just quick recap as we go forward. Almost giving make friends with the mammon of iniquity. Give away all your superfluities, as yeah. the catechism t- teaches us. Liberality, money's a placeholder. Always know what it's holding a place for. Beneficence, invest in a ways to usher in the kingdom of a God by dignifying the labor of your neighbor. Uh, temperance, uh, don't be luxurious. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is kind of the classic idol smashing one. It's like, what are the things that your heart craves that are necessary for life? that are not necessary for life. This is just a good Christian examination of conscience thing. The fifth virtue is magnificence. Yay. I love it. means doing great things. Where beneficence is doing good things, this one's you're doing great things. Yeah. Uh, magnificence is not a virtue that everyone has the potential for. Right, but everyone has the potential to demand it. <laughs> Whether from themselves or others. <laughs> That's right. So these are gifts that really start to fundamentally change the, the pattern and order of your towns. These yeah. are the one, These are the big ones. These are the big gifts. Um, and, it, and it starts to define somebody as being the king of your town in a certain regard. Yeah. In the regard that they start to adjust the way that daily life goes on. Yeah, right. And it is um, that virtue by which we govern the use of large sums, which is why it's not... It's not for everybody. Um, but part of what it means and part of why it's so lacking in our age is that it the the call for that virtue always associates um, having much with giving much. And so it creates a natural outlet for amassment within society because the fact is we are going to have rich people. There are going to be wealthy people. Mm-hmm. There are going to be powerful people. And this is, this is what is so contrary to the Catholic tradition and then something like the socialist vision, which wants to manufacture a society in which these things don't occur. And what actual socialist history tends to show is that when you do that, you simply create different kinds of rich people, people who hold state power, for instance, versus what they previously held as you know <laughs> economic power, as if these were like vastly different <laughs> things. Um, so given that, the question is not how do we prevent um, wealth, how do we prevent inequality, how do we prevent this difference, um, but how do we demand properly the giving of great gifts? Mm. Um, a magnificent man knows he is obliged to do things for the whole community in a way that no one else can. And so there's something courageous about oddly like courageous about being magnificent because when you become magnificent you stand out Mm. as 
having that power. Mm-hmm. You acknowledge it. You claim it. You say, yes, I am powerful. Mm-hmm. And what does that do? Well, that makes you a target of supplication. That's right. As opposed to the lack of magnificence, right? Sniveling sort of nouveau riche stuff where what you do is you deny your own power. You say things like Bill Gates will say, which is that oh, I'm just another guy. I'm wearing my jeans and <laughs> whatever he says. He doesn't really say that. I don't know. <laughs> he, he says like, jeans. let's kill half of humanity. That's more his style. Uh, <laughs> um, but so you have you, you have the current situation, which is that without the virtue of magnificence, you have the effort by the wealthy to not stand out as wealthy and to avoid then the obligations that come with wealth. And then what socially happens is that in order to pull this off, the wealthy live with each other and the poor live with each other so that the situation of inequality in which magnificence is apparent can always be denied. You know, it's easy to say I'm just like everyone else when you live in a gated community. It's like, yeah, well, you move next to everyone else that's just like you. So, mm-hmm. you know, so it's the courage to stay in a place and to have a relative um, amount of power that you claim and show vis-a-vis people who do not have it. And that this relationship is one that's akin to a relationship between a father and a son, where the people that do, do not have your power look up to you and expect great gifts, and they actually receive them because you're magnificent. And that's marvelous. Yeah, um, yeah I think I think if we could just have a few magnificent men, we could really turn the ship around. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, the two opposing vices to magnificence are benazia. Oh yeah, that's right. These are you the, just, the unknown you just ones. waste ginormous sums of money yeah. you know, going on vacation to Hawaii or right, whatever right. else. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're just yeah, yeah. like that is unnecessary. Yeah, some vacations, getaway retreats, you can make a case for them, but extravagant uh, vacations like this are, are um, outside the realm. I'm pretty sure in most cases. Can we call um, out? No, let's not call anybody. <laughs> Um, the other one is pettiness yeah. where you nickel and dime for everything when you have this, this vast horde um, behind you and Christ is calling you to use that to build something great. So totally, um, <laughs> another, uh, Chris Czechism. Um, it really is a needle and it really is a camel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, all right, where do we go from there? Well, um, if we've done Magnificence, then we have to do <laughs> Simony. All I right, think of. there we go, Simony. Simony is the buying and selling of relig- of spiritual things. Yeah. Um, so this could be things that you think you can really buy and sell, like relics, mm-hmm. whereas I can give you money and mm-hmm. you can buy it to me. Um which really you, you can't do even though some sort of exchange happens because you can never really possess a saint. He's outside your grasp. You know what's funny, though? I should say this as, <laughs> as an aside, is that you are allowed to buy relics when a, a heretic or schismatic <laughs> or somebody outside the church in general has it. It has it and yeah. is selling it yeah. because in that re- regard you're rescuing it. Just a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission. I you know I, I thought him. I th- I've thought this before. There was I was in a museum somewhere somewhere in um what's that city called? It's in New York, New York City, and uh, <laughs> it it had some relics of the True Cross just chilling, and I and I really felt like an obligation to try and pull off a heist, and then I thought well. 
probably not prudent, but what a great movie. There's no money. That's no, like no, no, the motivation. Uh, yeah, it's imagine, just, imagine yeah, a movie. It's, it's just, just a bunch like, of like... Actually, for love of Christ. Yeah, somewhat schizoid in, Catholics yeah. find out that there's a relic <laughs> and they pull off like an Ocean's Eleven sort of thing where they're like dangling, you know, there's laser beams and they're... I don't know. It's just they like could go places. That would be magnificent. It'd be, it would mm-hmm. cost a lot of money to make. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At least <laughs> the way I've got it in my head. Yeah, so, si- so simony isn't just that though. I mean, well, it is just that. But um, what we like to point out is that we live in an age with a pervasive lack of reverence. And so there are things around us that are holy, um, that we don't even see as being holy. Um, there are things like conversation, things like the Christian people, mm. things like, um, time things, you know, things that we try to sell, um, within a mercantile society, everything is an attempt to try and sell, you know, to make something sellable. Um, that isn't when we do it. It's not simply crass. There's something simoniacal, simoniacal nice, <laughs> about it. Thank you. About it, which is which is namely we're taking holy things um, and trying to profit from them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think the highest amongst them is friendship. Obviously, friendship with God is is really what mm-hmm. the attempt is to purchase to to have Him under your control. But then other attempts, you're trying to have other people under your control. So this goes back to another one of these taglines from St. Thomas that um, friendship or love or where money takes a place from where friendship or love lacks. Yeah. And in some cases, that just has to be the case mm-hmm. um, where I go to the Kroger's and they, they don't treat me as a friend. And mm-hmm. so I have to buy things from them. And, and that's the one of the great defenses of, of money um, and the proper use of it. Um, but when you have a chance to rely on friendship, to rely on charity, to build up friendship with another, um, rather than on exchange and control and kind of neat, uh, uh, safe, grid-lined relationships, uh, then you should take that opportunity yeah. for charity. Yeah. You know, don't charge your dad for work. Don't pay your brother for work. Yeah. You know, move into that total life of self-giving that then should expand further and further beyond Till we've conquered the whole world. That's right, and don't don't uh, charge interest on a loan. Whoa! For instance, yeah, that's one of these ways that actually comes back. You know, you have these three great economic sins yeah. in the Middle Ages. Of, um, well, I mean, I guess they would char- they would toss in simony. So three others of debasement, of speculation, and of usury. <clears throat> and so, in in the latter three is different than the former in so far as they are attempts to get wealth without work. Mm-hmm. So in the case of debasement, a king calls for a tax, puts less money or less precious metals in the coins, and then send, sends them back out, or starts buying things with them before people realize uh, that they're being cheated. And so he's getting more um, for his buck than what he put in yeah. through his labor. Um, whereas all good exchanges are found not just in some sort of uh, abstract notion of work or of uh, energy being uh, expended, expended, uh, but rather work for another. That's why the reciprocal relationship uh, can can lead to a reciprocal, or excuse me, that's why you can have some sort of reciprocal exchange because the good that one's done yeah. for you, you are doing for another. Yeah, you really serve the common good. Yeah, that's why these jobs that don't have real value add kind of 
and lend themselves to um, being within this general category. So usury, same thing. You've lent them uh, some money, and you're asking more for for it back than what you gave, even though it was not your labor that added the value to whatever they are mm-hmm. doing. Um, in a similar case with speculation, I'm buying something, I'm holding it until the market says that it's it's more needed now, mm-hmm. and so I can sell it for more later. But again, there's no value add to what I did there. Mm-hmm. And all this joke stuff about people saying that, well, we need prices to be more more right. It's like, you know what would really solve these things? is actually if we started to do real work, cultivating real real jobs that were for the sake of our neighbor. Yeah. And some, sometimes I just feel like a little kid when I'm trying to express um, the the Christian position here because it's, it's not complicated. It's why St. Paul can say things like, he who does not work, neither should he eat. It's just saying that to get a good, you should give a good. Yeah. And you don't get to get without giving. Yeah. And, you know, it can feel maybe a little complicated because you sometimes give in different ways than you get, mm-hmm. like a work to money exchange. Yeah. But the principle remains. Yeah. And so whenever, whenever you're getting without giving, then you're sinning. And the only times that that becomes obscure is when you describe your getting as a kind of giving when it's not. Like when you describe your tireless hours speculating in the market as mm. a work. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm working, right? Look at this. Sweat pouring off my brow as I type or something. I don't know. I have very vague images of what happened. That's, that's right. Okay. But it's, the question isn't, of course, did you consume calories because you can do that sleeping? The question is, do you... Um, contribute to the common good mm-hmm. so. right but of course m- m- the tradition has been kind of lenient on some people on this not i mean they still tell them that they're going to hell which is something that we don't hear a lot today but lenient in so far as they say you know it's not all your all your fault because money the actual design of money is an occasion of sin mm-hmm. uh, that as saint thomas aquinas put it that the very nature of money lends itself to hindering charity by distracting the mind. Mm. That's that's more than what a lot of people would admit today. Say no, no, no. It's you know, it's not uh, it's not money itself. It's the love of money. It's the misuse of money. He says no. Actually, the, the very design of money mm-hmm. lends itself to misuse. Mm-hmm. And his biggest concern when he's actually commenting Saint Thomas Aquinas when he's commenting on Saint Paul's line that it's the love of money that leads to all evil, <coughs> excuse me, that's the root of all evil. Um, he says, you know what it is? It's not that some, it's, it's, St. Paul is not saying that it becomes the root of all evil when you make money your last end, but when you constantly default to it, because it is ubiquitous. It can be ubiquitous. Money answers all things, the Bible says. These are problems because it does seem to be this kind of sumum bomum, this highest good, this ultimate good mm-hmm. um, that takes the place of God, mm-hmm. where it can show up everywhere, where where it does seem to be in control of everything. Um, and that is a problem. And it's one of these things that we have to be on our guard about whenever mm-hmm. we use it. And there's no, um, you know, there's this kind of begins to explain why. St. Thomas and St. Bonaventure say that the beginnings of per- perfection begins in voluntary poverty. So this again goes back to 
Another topic that we've, we've discussed is why is it that religious orders take these vows of poverty? Why is it one of the evangelical councils? And it really is to emerge out of those occasions of sin, mm-hmm. but also further to be placed in total dependence on love, mm-hmm. to be dependent on your friends, to be dependent upon God, not just to be outside of the world of calculating mm-hmm. and trying to make two incommensurate things commensurate, two unequal things equal to one another, like a table and a chair or whatever, uh, but actually to to lay, live into, to lean into this world of love. If it's true that... Um, that we are always dependent upon other people. That we can either be dependent on people that we know in charity or people we don't know uh, through money. Yeah. Then, then the priority is again for especially for the religious who are trying best of all to show us God. Then they should be living in what Saint Bonaventure calls the mode of charity, over and against the mode of possession. Yeah, no, that's right. And and you know the religious are for us the sign of our future perfection right so they attain things that the laity hopes to attain in heaven but that doesn't mean that it's like well then you know laity get to be greedy and thank goodness the monks are being you know free of all that (laughs) rather it they're just showing what's possible and so the laity exists on more of a dynamic sliding scale because we don't take a vow of poverty Um, but the example of the religious helps us to understand that the way we're supposed to sanctify the the whole social order mm-hmm. is such that we use less and less money. Yep. Like we have to move dynamically to more and more love, more and more trust, more and more friendships, more and more trades. Yeah. Um, and less and less money. Yeah. Cultivating the skills that we need to be able to achieve that along the way. Yeah. Um, a lot of work. There's a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> a couple of others, um, that the first kind of steps that we can do, um, to do this is in is is in our own families mm. to not pay our children uh, a salary for doing work around the house for instance um what do you call them i've i've so distanced myself from it when you pay your kids stuff allowance, allowance yeah. it is. Yeah. no allowances no allowance. because we're not trying to make the family modeled after the market we're trying to make the market modeled after the family so expanding Expanding that out, and then it's a similar way why the whole phrase about why about um, it's better to give to teach the man how to fish rather than to just give him a fish right. is actually a little bit mistaken because you right. need to give him the fishing rod. You got to give him the time, and hey, he's hungry right now. Give him a fish while he learns right. how to do this. Yes, you know the Catholic package is the whole package it's it's really taking care of the neighbor spending the time with another getting to know them that charity might be victorious word up all right is that it i think that i mean i'm sure i'm sure there's more i mean there's so much there's so much to say um it's easier to talk about of course just all the things that we say not to do like get out of your 401k stop investing in the stock market and get out of insurance if you can etc etc um but i think understanding that money like everything is not some neutral category that we get to simply live as the pagans and as the world lives while we develop our christianity using other material this is just one of those lies that actually gives money a lot of power over us because we look at it and we think well this escapes the gospel Mm -hmm. like this much is not subordinate to christ Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not true it all is you know 
uh, from from root to branch. So, yeah, add money to your Christianity. Whoa, that's a good tagline. That's, yeah, not really though, because yeah. that could be taken badly. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so next, we're doing a Q and A. Yeah. Um, so consider all these general. This is this is the general summary, so you can be ready for the Q and A. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got a lot of questions already. Yeah, keep submitting them. You know, I we might get to some of them. Yeah, we're gonna try to answer as many as, uh, as many as we can. And I always try to doing it on Saint Nicholas's feast day. Is that true? That's awesome. If it is, wow. I mean, it's he, kind of perfect, isn't it? We're just the boys who want to put gold in your shoes, in your in your in your, in your socks. <laughs> Come over here, sprinkle some in, or or save your children from the. The pickle barrel. You heard this one? Or punch Aries in the face. Or punch Aries in the face. Yeah. No, pickle barrel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a... There was a... I feel like there should be like a song said about pickle barrel. It's like a kookaburra sits it... in the old gum tree. And be like, um, the child fell in the pickle barrel. Well, it was more like a, um, a, a murdering fiend killed some children to sell them to hungry people during a famine. Huh. Put a man a pickle jar <laughs> point is that saint nicholas just came in and there was like these children are in a pickle and i gotta get them out <laughs> and so he did pull them out wow now he's the patron saint of children wow and that means he's your patron saint because i mean we're all children Dang, he snuck in there great. he snuck in there as a universal patron saint wow. it's like it's like if they had a patron saint of adults or, or people <laughs> oh my gosh that's fantastic <laughs> I love okay. that guy even more. Oh, he's he's just the the coziest saint. Yeah. Wow. I should drink a Coca Cola. <laughs> <laughs> good old Saint Nick. Okay. Enough of that nonsense. Uh, we will see you at the Q and A. Thank you so much for listening. We will do our very best to answer your questions. Goodbye.